Today on the show, we're talking about measuring financial progress. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with my co-host Trevor, and today we're talking about measuring financial progress. Yeah, so this is an important topic in that everybody should be measuring how they are performing to their plan all the time. I mean, this, this is a lifelong endeavor. You should always be measuring your financial progress. You need to know if you're moving in the right direction, and that is so important. We're going to dive in. So first of all, I'm so excited for this episode today because this is one that we can all relate to. We're all, regardless of where we're going, what our goals, our dreams are of achieving financially, this is this is really pertinent to everyone. Well, and I think you you have a different reason for measuring your financial progress at different phases of life. Oh, I like that. Some of them, yeah, some of them it's mission critical. Like this is this is what's going to keep me off the streets when you're starting out in life. And when you're at the, nearing the end of your life, this is what's going to stop you from eating dog food <laughs> when you're, you, know, you run out of money too soon. So you really need to be measuring all the time. But the reason you measure is going to change as you evolve through life. So I, I like that we're kind of talking today about financial progress in the terms of progress. I like that we're not calling it measuring your financial success or your financial wins. I like that this conversation today is being framed as as progress because I think that's that's kind of a more positive way to look at it. Well, and the important thing, when you're measuring progress, never compare yourself to somebody else or somebody else's financial situation because even if you work at the exact same place or you drive the exact same car, your financial lives are going to be different. So comparing yourself to other people is is the worst way to measure your progress. It, it is so demoralizing or it gives you an artificial sense of success, which maybe you're not really having. So comparing yourself to other people is is probably the worst way to measure your progress. And, and here's one thing a lot of people do. So uh, young people starting out in life, they'll try to set up their life to mimic their parents' oh, life. Oh, yes. Their parents I'm so guilty of this. 30 years, they, their parents spent 30 years designing a financial life or building their financial life. And if they've been really diligent and they did a really good job, it, it's going to look super in, uh, enticing. But if you're just starting out in life, and you want what they have immediately, you're going to just have a mountain of debt in order to get it. And I think, I mean, if, like I said, I'm very guilty of that myself. And I'm sure everyone listening to this is nodding their head, kind of in agreement saying, yes, I have at one point in my life compared my, where I, my personal, my financial progress to someone else's progress. And so I think that's a really, really key point to, to, to kind of open the show with before we, we jump on, because that's, that's so so important because how easy is it to get lost in lost in the kind of the the shuffle and lost in how big of a win your progress is and think how lazy that is so rather than having a financial plan and coming up with a a, a system to measure yourself against that plan all the effort and energy that would go into that or you could just look at your neighbor and say, why can't we be like them? <laughs> you know, that's the lazy way of doing it. And just say you're not living up to you, to your, you know, your, to your neighbor or your sibling. You're, you're not re- 
achieving the same financial results they are, then just just say you're not. You don't even know what lever to pull to fix it, right? You don't even know if you're not, you know, going on the trips they're going on and driving the fancy cars they're driving on and living in the the big luxurious house that they're living in. If you're not doing all those things, you don't even know what lever to pull to improve your situation because the only thing you're using as a measuring stick is the people next door to you, and they could be racking up debt for all you know. Oh yeah, that's that's a slippery slippery slope. So we're going to talk today about reasons to measure progress and then how to even measure financial progress. So when we dive, so we're going to first kind of dive into reasons to measure progress. And you've outlined four kind of critical reasons, four reasons that will drive us to measure our progress. But what if, I mean, we'll go through these, but if, if what if I'm not convinced what if I have no kind of desire to measure my finished progress? What if I'm at a space where I have uh, excess money and and there's no kind of reason? Is could you say that? Is it safe to say that there actually is always a reason, or does this section not apply to some individuals? No, nobody gets a pass on this. So you remember I said budgeting. Nobody gets a pass on budgeting. We we did a whole two episodes on that, like back to back, part one, part two. Nobody gets a pass on that. It is a requirement of personal finance. You, you might get a pass on buying a used car, but you might have to make an adjustment somewhere else in your life. So you, you could get a pass on that, but you don't get a pass on measuring financial progress because what we're going to go through, it, it's all, it'll be obvious when we get to the end of the show, but if you're not measuring your performance against your budget, against your plan, you, then you're just drifting through life. You're going you're gonna to end up someplace you, you don't want to be. So it's not, this is not optional as far as I'm concerned. So on that note, let's dive into point number one. So the first reason to measure your progress is to make sure you are moving toward your goals. And so this one is, it sounds obvious, but if, if you don't have, okay, so I'm assuming everyone has some sort of financial goals in life. It could be to buy a house. Well, a good way to measure if you're getting closer and closer to being able to buy your first home is the size of your down payment. So that's how simple measuring financial performance can be is I am my down payment. I need this much money to, to put down to buy a house and I have this much money. You, as that gap closes, clearly you're making progress. So that's, that's an example. Or if you have a debt and you're paying it off, then that's a measurement of financial progress. The debt is getting smaller. So th- these are, if you're not observing these incremental improvements then just say it's it's your your down payment's not getting any bigger well clearly you need you need to make more lifestyle adjustments to free up money to increase the size of that down payment so that's an example how you would if you're not moving in the right direction you would make adjustments so you are moving in the direction you want to go so like you said this one assumes that you have a a goal you have a every but everybody has a financial goal i I, I'm yet to meet the person that doesn't want something. At, at some level. Okay, so th- this works. This works for either of those goals. And when we're talking specifically specifically about this point number one here, uh, how does kind of the, I'm only bringing up the word patience here because I think progress, patience, and achieving your goals kind of go really hand in hand. So how do you kind of exercise patience in terms of being able to measure and then and and also kind of the 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 kind of dichotomy between um 
pushing yourself to achieve the goal and, and but not to me being too hard on yourself when you're measuring that progress. Like where's that, where does that kind of all come in? Well, if you do this measuring correctly, you're going to have signposts along the way. So you're going to, you're not going to say I need $50,000 down payment to buy a house. You're going to say, you're going to break that down into smaller bite-sized pieces and say, you know, I need $10,000. I need to save $10,000 every six months. And, and so now that goal doesn't seem so insurmountable. You celebrate the win when you, when you hit a $10,000 plateau and then you move on to your next $10,000 plateau and you celebrate these five incremental wins and before you know it, you have $50,000. But if you're just going at it as, I need $50,000 two years from now, that one's really hard to stay motiv- motivated for. So I really uh, break your... And also, if you think of, just say you're on a road trip and just say there's a sign when you're leaving your house and there's a sign saying you've arrived. <laughs> that's a dangerous trip to go on. I don't like your chances of making it to your destination. That's why they put signs along the way, you know? They, okay, we have GPSs, but you, you get what I mean. Is there There's signposts that, that guide us to where we're going. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, on a big, long road trip, those kind of those signs telling you how close you are getting to the next big city, I mean, that's, that's an encouragement to keep going uh, and driving on those trips. I remember before GPSs, I would ask my father... <laughs> Are we almost there? <laughs> and and my father would, soon as he, whenever he saw a sign that, that it said, you know, how far away this town we were heading for was, he'd point it out. And I go, oh, we're that much closer. So those signposts even helped when I was a little kid. And, and so it's, it's, it's crazy if we were to kind of forego that because it obviously is a strategy that worked as a kid and can be applied to this specific uh the specific point for to reach your goals so and you know you know as technology has taken away the need for signposts because we have gps's and it tells us how much further things are uh there's technology can help you stay motivated to 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 your goals as well i mean there's there's budgeting apps and that show fancy graphs and pie charts and you you could set up a visual motivation as well using technology and right there you stay motivated that is our second reason to measure progress so uh, obviously when it comes to doing something financially it takes a lot to to keep yourself on that track but but how what's the difference like what, what's the difference maker between not measuring your progress and measuring your progress to staying motivated like where do, where does that really shine through well to to Reach a financial goal, like just say you want to buy a house or you want to retire early. It's it's going to be the little lifestyle adjustments you make in your everyday life that are going to move the needle. These are the things that are going to make the difference. It's your everyday living. It's not these one-off grand gestures. You know, we're going to not go on vacation this year and we'll use that money to put toward our down payment of our house. Well, that that is a good thing. I, I, I admirable effort. But if you cancel your cable package, scale back your cell phone package, uh, go down to one vehicle, become a one vehicle family. All, all these things that affect your day-to-day life, those are things that can have the biggest impact on you reaching a financial plateau in life. So if you're not measuring your progress, you're going you're gonna to wonder, why did I make, why, why am I suffering or why am I making all these concessions in life? What's it for? So if you're not measuring it, you will lose the incentive to continue with those lifestyle adjustments. Like 
getting by a family getting by with one car can save you a ton of money, but it's going to consume a lot of your time and it's going to be very inconvenient for the whole family. And so at some point you may be sitting in a parking lot waiting for somebody in February freezing, you know, and you're going to say, you know, why am I doing this? But if you're measuring your progress, you might see, okay, I don't have to do this for much longer, right? So that's that that keeps you motivated. The window is, you can see there's, this is only another 15 months and we'll be there. So if you're measuring it, it's easy to stay motivated. These, these, these adjustments you made, maybe they're only temporary. And if you know they're only temporary, it's a lot easier to, to stomach them. So that, that to stay motivated, to make these every, these day-to-day things that are going to be, make your life incredibly inefficient or uncomfortable, you, you'll, you'll know you're, it's a temporary thing. But if you're not measuring your progress, you might think this is, this could go on forever. Like you, you don't even see the horizon if you're not measuring it. Because we, we always say that the why is sometimes the biggest motivator, the biggest factor to achieving your financial goals. And in this case, um, that why is is, is what's going to keep you going and, and, the, and measuring the progress along to that journey to, uh, to really achieving that goal. Well, you're right. A really good why is going to keep you motivated too. But the, the measuring how close you are to that why is just as important. So the third reason to measure progress is to observe cause and effect. So this one, this, I don't know if these are in order or not in order. I don't know, but this one is really important is just say you, you make a lifestyle adjustment and it, it doesn't like, just say you, you thought by going down to one car, just, you thought you were going to save a lot of money in insurance and gas. Just just say you thought that you're gonna your fuel costs. You just took whatever your the gas you're burning in your second car, and you took that out of your budget and said that's 100 percent savings. Well, it turns out you're gonna drive your only car a lot more, so you're actually not gonna save half the fuel. You you might not save barely any fuel because you're gonna drive that other car, that one car, more often. So that's an example where y- you might have put in your in your plan that you're going to save this much money by getting rid of a car, but in actual fact, you didn't. Or just say you you put new windows in your house and you thought you were going to save this much in heating and it actually, you don't save that much. So you need to, it's going to help you when you're trying to make lifestyle adjustments to reach a financial goal. If you're not measuring it and, and just say you're measuring it and you're not hitting your goal, well, then you know that that adjustment didn't work. That cutting my cable wasn't enough. You know, I actually need to sell my $65,000 truck and buy a little car, a used car. You know, it, it, you might need me to make more dramatic changes to get to your goal in time, the, the time frame you want to. So the, the little, little changes might not be enough if you are, you know, spending almost everything you earn cut, and, and you want to save up for a down payment on a house. Well, cutting your cable is really you're going to be saving for the house for 10 years, right? If, if that's the only adjustment you made. But if you're not measuring it and saying, okay, I cut my cable and my savings rate has only gone up a little bit. But my my $1,200 truck payment, <laughs> that could really move the needle, right? So that, you know, that cause and effect, that may motivate you to make bigger changes. So what really kind of struck me from point number three here is how 
how kind of measuring our progress, especially when it comes to um, observing the cause and effect, really puts the power and the control of reaching your financial goals back into your court. It 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 almost it brings this renewed sense of of confidence that you do have more power over achieving whatever you would like to achieve. It, it does, and it, here's an example. So, just say you loved going out to eat with your friends, dining out, and you weren't hitting your financial goal. You know, these signposts, you, you put smaller little windows of time that you were, you know, you needed $10,000 every three months was your goal, saving toward a down payment on a house. And, and just say you weren't hitting it. And if you reviewed your budget and you said, well, where else can I cut? Like, it, it, and you, you don't even have to do it. You can say, well, if I stop going out to eat and I cut my cable package and I scale back my internet to a really you know, low cost one, I'm only going to save to, you know, a little bit more. Do I really want to do that? Is that a lifestyle adjustment I want to make? And I just think the cause and effect is a powerful tool. But again, if you're not measuring, if you don't have a goal to start with, don't even bother. But if, if you have a goal and you're not getting, you're not getting any traction, you, you need to look at what you've done and how it's impacted your progress. Finally, the fourth reason to measure progress is to stop chasing a financial horizon. And this one is, this one, the only example I can think of where it really is pertinent is if you're thinking of, just say you have a financial independence number. And we did a whole show on what that is. There's a thing called the Trinity Study, and it's based on withdrawing 4% of a, a stock investment every year, and it should last 30 years. It basically, you take your annual expenses, you multiply them by 25, and that would be your financial independence number. And if you don't have a, a goal, and you're not sort of measuring yourself to that goal, you might just be chasing more. And this is the financial horizon I'm talking about. Wherever you are is never, it's not going to be good enough. You're always chasing something just a little out of reach. And that can get soul crushing after a while. And you might just pack it in on your whole plan. So not chasing a financial horizon is, if you're measuring your progress, you should be getting closer and closer and closer. Not you're just 10 years away all the time. Do you know what I mean? You're you're always it's, it's always 10 years, I'm going to retire. You know, 10 years. Yeah, I've heard people say that. Yeah, I'm working for another 10 years. That's it. And they've been saying that for guess how long? 10 years. 10 years. <laughs> so it's, and, and they're still working, just for the record. So uh, if you're not measuring financial progress, you just, you're just going to keep on chasing a number that's just a little out of reach. So I think we are all wondering now how to even measure financial progress. But before I, before we jump to that, I want to ask you, Trevor, in, during your life and through the, the goals that you have aimed to reach, are, are any one of these four ones that have truly resonated with you and, and been a underlying reason to measure your financial progress? Well, I, I think all four of them have. Right now, I, I'm, I occasionally slip into the mindset of chasing that financial horizon. I, I keep saying to myself, maybe I'll work one more year. You know, what, what's one more year? And it, what that is, is just more, right? 
and and I keep think it's playing in the back of my mind. My goal was 55. I'm not quite there, but I keep toying with the idea of one more year. But I, I'm, thankfully, my wife's keeping me, you know, in this in the sanity section and saying, "No, y- you said 55. Let's do 55." Um, so, so I'm thankful for that. But uh, measuring my progress and knowing I'm that close is is keeping me from working one more year. The cause and effect has been one that was really powerful. We aggressively paid off our mortgage, and that one was when when I seen how increasing your your monthly payments. Actually, I think we paid it weekly. When we increased our weekly payments on our mortgage, the impact at which our mortgage shrank like it 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 went away in a hurry when we did that we just kept increasing our payments and we would print out the mortgage schedule on a regular basis to see just how quickly it was coming down and what we had was we also printed out what our mortgage would have been at had we continued with the regular payments the amortized over 25 years payments and we we kept those on the fridge. And it was amazing how rapidly. So that was my measurement, you know, how rapidly I would. And I would look at, I, I remember the timing of when my mortgage was paid off is exactly when my kids started school. That wasn't by accident. And had I stuck to my old mortgage schedule, I would be putting kids to post-secondary education and paying off a mortgage at the same time that math was never going to work. So uh, th- those are two times that where I'm, I, I, I've been glad I've been measuring toward my goal. It's really been beneficial. So you said, and I really, I really like it. I think it's a great kind of tool that uh, we can all kind of benefit from. But you, you printed off both the the new and the old schedule. So you kind of open the show by saying never use comparison as a guide. But we all have heard that if you're running a race, you should always be racing yourself. So maybe you're the last time you ran the race and try to beat that time. So I like the way that you and your wife utilized a kind of your own progress as that that tool to kind of keep you motivated well it, it is a great it was a great motivator and it, it motivated us to be more financially responsible you know do do more things like that and it so when i said don't compare don't compare yourself to somebody else but i we compared ourselves to another scenario that we chose not to go with right the the traditional 20 25 year mortgage we chose not to do that and we used that comparison. So we compared uh, one life choice compared to another life choice. And that was so motivating. So two more questions for you. One, when we do look at comparison, even against ourselves, it can get a little dicey in the sense that you may give yourself an excuse to not be as, as diligent. Maybe I mean, you had an, you had another kind of underlying motivator factor to pay off your mortgage before your kids entered post-secondary. So that kind of in itself was a motivating factor. But was comparing the two schedules and, and saying, oh, you know what? We're already light years ahead of where we would have been. Let's ease off a little this month. Like did that, how did you, one, did that conversation kind of ever play out? Or in two, how did you make sure it didn't? Yeah, that, that was an easy trap. And we, we, we kind of helped each other through those moments because we, we said, you know, really, should we just take a bit break from this aggressive mortgage payment thing? 
and, and go back to the regular one for maybe a year. We, we did entertain that, but we talked each other down from that. We, we, luckily, we never came up with that idea at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so every once in a while, one of us would you know, ask it as a question, and the other one would say, no, we, this, this, that's crazy talk. You know, We're killing this mortgage. And then, you know, I might come up with it, you know, a year later and say, I wonder if we should just, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on this mortgage payment thing. And, you know, my wife would say, oh, you're, you've lost your mind now. <laughs> so we would talk each other down. So, but that was an easy trap to fall into. So that comparison could work against you. You're, you're correct. And finally, when it comes to so aggr- aggressively paying off your mortgage, I, I can imagine I've never had a mortgage myself, but I can assume that that might be one of the kind of the largest, most intimidating tasks we, we kind of might go up in, I think, a, a majority of our life. So honestly, to your core, do you believe you would be where you are right now with, with that mortgage paid off when you paid it off without the measurement of your progress? Like, would that have been a reality? No, I would have I would have lost steam and thought I was, uh, you know, it, it was not possible without measuring the progress and, and seeing we were we were going to hit all the signposts along the way. Like I I had we having a financial plan, I could look into the future and say, okay, my kids are going to start post secondary school here. I want to retire here, and so if you back all that up, my mortgage has to be paid off here. You know, so I have all these signposts. And I just walked back my plan and then I would measure my progress to that plan. So I, I knew early on my mortgage had to be paid off at, at a certain age. And I, I, as, I, as I measured our progress toward that mini goal, it was, it was, and you get that win and you actually achieve it. It actually is like a launching pad for your next goal. So the next one was to get my kids through post-secondary education with no student debt. Check. You know, that, 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 if, if I could pay off my mortgage in the short window of time that I did, 15 years, I could clearly handle, I guess it ended up being about six or seven years of post-secondary education, no problem. Because that first one was, it was even bigger. And now I, I'm just topping off all my retirement savings again. I've already knocked out those two big challenges. Third one, not a problem. But again, I, I, I'm measuring the progress and I'm celebrating the wins along the way. I love that. So I, I do want to jump now into kind of the, the money part of this episode, the how in how to measure financial progress. So Trevor, you've kind of split these up into five hard measurements and five soft measurements. Yeah, so this it turns out the soft measurements are far more impactful than the hard measurements. So uh, they're both important, but people would say soft measurements, ah, they're not important. They're actually the most important. And and when when we say soft measurements and hard measurements, just to kind of give uh, everyone listening this a sense of what, what that kind of means to you. So a hard measurement, you can put, assign a number to it. In a soft measurement, is a feeling you have. And, and, and that, so that makes sense right there, why there's a little bit more power and weight to the soft measurement. Because like we always say, we, personal finance is, is not much math at all, it's mostly behavior. And behavior always is linked to feelings, emotions, and, and thoughts. So let's jump into hard measurements. So you have five hard measurements that come into play when we're talking about how to measure financial progress. And the first one is debt reduction. 
So these kind of go in order, but I just thought I'd mention that up front. So debt reduction is when you start out in life, you, you tend to start out with, a, with debt. It, it's just the nature. You might start with student debt. You might start out with a car loan, move on to a mortgage. So you're accumulating uh, education in a, that's an investment yourself, transportation, a, a place to live. So in the, I'm going to call it asset accumulation stage, although I don't believe a car is an asset, but if it gets you to work, it kind of is. Education is definitely an asset and a house is an asset. So in the asset accumulation stage of your life, you acquire lots of debt. That That's unfortunate that our society is structured that way. I, I sometimes question whether it's a, it's a good structure, but that's the way I grew up and my parents grew up and my children are growing up. So once you have all this debt, you, you have to pay it off. So this one is an easy measurement. The debt's getting smaller. It, it has to get smaller. If it, if it grows or it stays steady, well, it won't stay the same because interest is going to make it grow by itself. So if you don't pay your student loans off, they will get, the student loan will get larger. So that, that's, an, that's, a, that's a measurement in itself. If my debt is getting larger, I'm doing something wrong. I, I have not made the lifestyle adjustments necessary to deal with this debt. Unfortunately, you can't sell your student loans <laughs> or you can't give back your education. So you have to deal with that one. If you buy a vehicle, let's just say, for instance, a $65,000 truck. <laughs> just pretend. <laughs> my, my favorite one. And that debt, you just say you spread it over eight years. And then just say after a year, you notice the new trucks are even shinier. And so you trade in your new truck for a newer truck. And they just roll your old debt into your new debt. Well, then your your debt, your truck debt got bigger. So this is an easy measurement. If your debt is growing, you are doing something horribly wrong. But if you have a financial plan and you have this debt and you you plan to extinguish this debt in a in an orderly manner, then you should have these signposts that you're going to have your student debt paid off. You know, on the on this in this year, and your Car payment, we know you're only going to have a three-year car payment. Go back and listen to that episode. That's the max you'll borrow money for her car. <laughs> you'll be paid off in three years. And we did an episode on the 15-year mortgage. Assuming you don't live in Toronto, Vancouver, or Calgary, uh, you should strive to have a 15-year mortgage. So there is the measurements. I, I've just given them to you. <laughs> this doesn't get any easier. But measure your debt reduction. In in Have a plan to pay these things off and measure yourself. Am I on target? Like, don't wait and say, get to the end of 15 years. Huh, I guess I didn't pay off my mortgage. <laughs> okay, I'll keep trying. Just just measure yourself. Just do the math. I've had my house, my mortgage for this long, and I've only paid off, you know, at my current rate. I'm, I'm This is going to take 20 years. Clearly, i got to up my payments, make some sort of adjustment to get this and pay it off sooner. Your car loan, you borrow the money over a that that one's easy. You borrow it for three years. You got three years to pay it back. That that one's kind of, um, if you follow my philosophy, you'll never borrow money for a car for more than three three years. And the student loans is kind of open. So that's the one that you, you got to have a, a plan in place as well. So what, what I'm getting from just even our hard measurement number one here, debt reduction, is that 
there should be, there's no surprises. There should not be, if, if you are correctly measuring financial progress, there should nothing, you, nothing should come into the woodworks and be like, oh, wow, where did, where, where did that come from? How, do, how, how did that many years stack up for uh, payment number X? Like, like what? Like that should never be a conversation you have with yourself. No, because you should, you should be measuring at least annually. Am I on target for 15 years? Is, is this going to happen? And if not, I need to make the changes so it does. And I'm going to kind of re-ask this question just because I think it does pertain to this point specifically, but how do you, how do you keep, when it comes to debt reduction specifically, regardless of consumer debt or whatever kind of debt you may have on your hands, I mean, you had your wife as an accountability partner when it came to your mortgage specifically, plus the underlying reason um, of, of wanting to make that coincide with help uh, paying for your kids post-secondary. But how do you not get relaxed on that that debt reduction and, and, and the progress you're making there? I mean, it's easy. We can all kind of take the debt that we have and divide it over X number of years. But how do we how do we save ourselves from slipping into that space of, oh, you know what? It's 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 okay. It's it's one extra month. It's one extra year. It's it's not it's not going to really make a difference in the grand scheme of things. How do we pull ourselves from that internal conversation? It it just it takes a discipline, but you have to, if you have a a goal, a dream, an aspiration, and mine was to have be financially independent by age fifty five, and that was so important to me. I told everybody who would listen, <laughs> I'm going to be financially independent at 55 and the whole world is my accountability partner because I told, I, I've been telling everybody that since I've started working, that this is my goal. So I guess I don't understand why people wouldn't have some sort of goal, aspiration or dream in life and moving toward it should be easy. If you, but if you don't have a goal or, or a, a plan in life, you will just drift along and you'll, it, you'll hit 65 and you'll say, wow, I wish I could afford to retire, but I can't. I still have a mortgage. I haven't got any savings. I guess I'll keep working. And th that's a, a horrible place to be in. So I, I've always, this podcast, our tagline is be deliberate. I've always been deliberate in life. I, I don't just let life happen to me. I attack life with purpose. So that's number one. That's our first hard measurement in how to measure financial progress. The second one is... Well, this is going to take a while. <laughs> we just got through one there. <laughs> we'll, we'll speed this along. But the second one is savings goals. And so again, so we start with debt reduction and this is in order. So you moving you, you, savings goals. You should have savings goals even while you still have debt. Because we talked about you should have an emergency fund. You should be saving towards your retirement you you got to have some sort of goal and, and you can't just be saving for the sake of saving. You should have some sort of t annual target you're trying to save toward your retirement or or toward uh, a down payment on a house. You should have these annual numbers you're trying to hit. So if you, and if you make the window too large, you just lose motivation. So don't don't say, I need this much money in the next 20 years or the next, even the next 10 years. Five years is too long. Have annual targets. And then if you're really diligent, break that into quarters and say, you know, every three months I need this much money saved up to hit my annual savings target. But have a savings goal, have a savings, and make sure it's for something. It's not just saving for the sake of saving because that, that can be real demotivating. So have this money earmarked for something that you're saving it for so you can do some visualization exercises. 
so if, if, if we have a listener maybe in their 20s, in their 30s, who maybe retirement is a little bit farther away or financial independence is a little bit farther away, and, and maybe for yourself too, Trevor, when you were uh, younger, was was what you just said, was that still applicable to the kind of the mindset you had at that age? Was, was a signposting enough? Was Or were the other kind of smaller saving goals, such as maybe paying off your mortgage, what kind of got you through to the point that you're at today? Um, and, and kind of getting there in, in terms of specifically saving up for uh, retirement? Well, I think in, in your 20s, saving is really just building the discipline to have a little bit of money set aside and have the discipline not to spend it. You're really not trying to accumulate money at that age. We talked about in your 20s, in your early 30s, you're in the asset accumulation stage where you're actually taking on debt. And you should really be focused on extinguishing that debt. But it's important to build the discipline to have money sitting in an account that you don't spend. You know, it, it could be your emergency fund. It could be a little bit of money you're saving for a car or something. But I don't think you should have grand savings goals in the asset accumulation stage of life. You definitely should be saving money, but it's more, you're really more building the discipline that, yeah, I have a, a couple of thousand dollars sitting in the account here that I don't spend. It's just an emergency fund or it's for my next car. But I, I have the absolute discipline to just not go spend it on something shiny. And I really think that's all you're trying to do at that stage of life. I like that. So we'll move on to number three. Number three is um, how to measure financial progress. And the, the third one is income level. So as you advance in in life, say you've got a, a career in, in business you should be moving into a higher earning category within an organization once you build up some experience and have a, a a resume with some experience on it rather than just education. And you should have some sort of goal to earn a bit more money. At, at some point in life, you have to earn a, a decent paycheck if you want to achieve significant financial goals. And you can only do so much through saving, right? That, 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 there's a basement there. You, you, you can only save your way to prosperity to a point. At some point, you have to earn a, a decent amount of income. It, it, where you live will determine how much that is. But I think measuring, if, if you look back and you've been earning the same income for the last 20 years, you're probably, you could probably be a little more motivated, and, and and I'm not talking about you know selling out and 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 working at something that goes against all your beliefs and everything. But you, you probably want to, even if you're in a union, your income would go up just based on seniority. So you should see an upward trajectory on income. You may lose a job and and they may blimp down for a couple of years, but it, it it should be always on an upward trajectory. So if that's a measurement of if your career path has has some structure in it, then that, that's a measuring tool. So, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I'm just, I'm really curious to, in, in the way in which this, your income level determines your financial progress, because it kind of in the past, we've always said that it's it's more about, about what you spend than what you make. That That is true. You you, but the problem is it, a lot of people, the more money they make, the more money they spend. So if you can keep your spending constant and increase your income, you can't help but build wealth. 
okay, that makes sense from that angle. And again, so by building wealth, you are then kind of, it determines your financial progress in achieving your overarching goals. And the, the problem is that most people, when they increase their income, they inflate their lifestyle and there is a zero sum game. They, they haven't gained any wealth along the way. No, that, that makes sense. Uh, so that was number three. Number four, and your, your fourth hard measurement to measure your financial progress is your net worth. So this is where you take your, you see, this is your, you're getting very established in life. You're probably in your late forties at this point. You might want to look at your net worth all the time, but unfortunately in your late twenties and early thirties, you're going to have a negative net worth. So what you do is you take all your assets and you subtract from all your liabilities. So all your debt. So all your assets would be your, the house you own, the car you own, um, any investments you have. And you subtract that from the mortgage you owe, the car loan you owe, maybe the student loans you still owe, hopefully not. And the, the difference between those two is your net worth. And that is a, I wouldn't bother measuring that until you start to, particularly with a house, you get some equity built up, meaning you've paid down your mortgage, I'd say at least half. Then, then this becomes, and I remember measuring, I remember when my net worth hit zero. So I, I had as much assets as I did debt. So I remember when my net worth hit zero and that was a, a very celebrated day. So just an example, zero is a good number in some measurements. And I continue to measure my net worth every year. I, I do it annually. Whenever I set up my new budget, I look at my net worth and it, it makes sure it's going the right direction because you can let debt slip into your life and start eroding that net worth. And that, that's, a, that's a why it's good to measure that, right? If, if, if you see your net worth not growing or, or not declining down to zero earlier in your life, and then once you hit zero, make sure you never hit negative again. You want to keep that number growing into a positive number with every passing year. So this one is critical in that as you get older, uh, you, you have less time to recover from bad financial decisions. And measuring your net worth is a, you know, if you start buying RVs and, and skidoos just because you, have, you think you have all this disposable income and all of a sudden your net worth is back to zero and, and you're in your late 50s, that's concerning. For when we are looking at our net worth and measuring our own network, net worth, is there a kind of a percentage or an area that we should kind of aim for? Or is this going to vary by person by person and by the stage of life that you're in? Well, if it's it's not a percentage, it's it's, a, it's a, an actual number, and I I think again I I caution comparing yourself to other people. So if I told you the the age I was when I hit my uh, net worth zero number, that might not mean anything to somebody else who lives in a really expensive city or a a very low cost region. So. I, I, I don't think it's worth sharing what that number is, but it's not a percent. It's an actual number. And number five, the fifth hard measurement to measuring our financial progress is finan- our financial independence number. And so this is once you're, you're, you're probably in your 50s, you should be thinking about what your financial independence number is. And you're, uh, here's a quick way to do it. So if we did a thing on the podcast previously, it's called the 4% rule or it's based on a Trinity University study. And this study, they looked at 
people retiring from, I think it was 1922 to 1995. And they would, if somebody, were, you could safely withdraw 4% of your investment and it would last 30 years. So basically the math is you take your annual expenses and you multiply them by 25 and that is your financial independence number. So whatever your number is, so just say you spend $40,000 a year, you take 40,000 times 25 and that's your financial independence number. Now, I like to break numbers down into smaller bite-sized pieces. So what I do to come up with a financial independence number is I, I break my annual spending into two buckets. I have my basic survival expenses and just going with the last example, say it's $20,000 and my comforts of life expenses, say it's $20,000. So I have now a range, a financial independence number range. So when I hit my financial independence number of survival expenses, this is what keeps me off the street. If once I have that in investment income, that that's a plateau we're celebrating. And then you start building toward your comfort of life financial independence number. So, and, and then that's obviously, once you hit that number, you, you're, you're free to stop working and live off your passive income. But uh, it's a number you should calculate. And I mean, I'll leave a link to the Trinity study in the show notes, but there's no shortage of, uh, we should actually do a whole episode on how to calculate your financial independence number. We might have actually done it. I'm trying to recall. Did We, we did. We did dedicate a, an episode to financial independence, and we did dive okay, into I'll, this. But yeah, I think we'll okay, leave it in the show notes. Uh, we'll leave a link to that show as well. But there's there's enough information. I mean, you don't have to go to page two of a Google search to figure this out. It's You type in financial independence calculation, and there's no shortage of, of math out there. But figure out a good measurement. I like the one 25 times your annual expenses. That's your financial independence number. I like that one. That's the one I'm actually using. And that is, once you hit that number, I mean, know what that number is. That's a goal that's worth chasing. But I like to break it into ranges, as I described. I like that because even this big, maybe it feels like insurmountable goal of, of, of achieving or building the wealth uh, to meet your financial independence number can still be broken down. I love that. And here's something I didn't realize. So when you're, when you're, saving toward retirement the 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 journey is not linear it's actually collinear so the more money you have the faster it grows so i would look at my retirement savings and i started to question whether i was going to get there in time but then i realized it's not going to grow in a linear fashion it's going to grow like um in a collinear fashion, like it's it's growing faster with every passing year. So let's move on to talking now about the soft m- measurements in terms of how to mani- measure financial progress. And as we as we yeah, these are, there's five in here as well. And um, as we go through them, I th- is it do they relate at all, Trevor? Before we dive into them, how can we bring together the the kind of the hard measurements with the soft measurements and, and, and kind of look at them together. I don't think they come together. I, I think you just need to, you, the, the soft measurements are more of an observation in life and the hard measurements are really more of a calculation. But, but do we give more weight to one than the other? It, I know obviously hard measurements re- like at the end of the day are the, the most notable ones, uh, 
but like you said, you said at the beginning that the soft measurements were the ones that were maybe going to move the needle behaviorally, emotionally. Well, we'll talk about it in depth, but just an example, debt reduction should introduce some stress into your life. Like that's, that's one of the soft measurements is stress. Uh, I would say debt reduction should introduce some stress in your life in that you are making adjustments that may cause, cause stress in your life short term for long term gains. So there is a, a relationship between these. You, you may, it, it may sound negative, but it is actually a positive thing. So on that note, like, like for instance, if you're not, if you think, if just say you, you need to make financial uh, lifestyle adjustments to, to achieve your debt reduction, reduction goals. And if they appear painless and effortless to make, chances are you haven't cut deep enough. You know, that that's an example where you probably aren't doing as much as you could. You should be a little uncomfortable in, in, making lifestyle adjustments to achieve something as important as debt reduction. I think that right there is very, very key and, and important to realize that when you are in that phase of your life, when you are trying to reduce your debt, that it won't feel great. And I think it's always a good reminder to that, that when we are in that phase of life, you will feel that way. And, you know, I'd rather be a little uncomfortable when I'm 35 getting rid of my debt than being uncomfortable when I'm 65 yes. trying to get rid of my debt. Yes, yes, words, so those rings so true. So let's jump into the first soft measurement for how to measure our financial progress. And the first one is financial edge concerns. So what does this one constitute? So living on the financial edges is basically you end up with more month than money. So you, you end up with more bills at the end of the month, and you have money. So you, if you are concerned with, am I going to make rent this month? Am I going to have enough money for groceries? Am I going to be able to pay the utility bill? So if you are f- constantly concerned with those type of things, those survival needs being met, then you're probably, you're, that's a, you're clearly not making financial progress. If, if you're all, if you if you have been worried about those things for five years, just say five straight years, you always wonder if you're going to make rent. If that's, if that's something that you never know if it's going to work out or not, and that's been going on for five years, then you are not making financial progress. So financial edge concerns are you can't meet your, fin- your basic financial obligations every month. In the, in the same kind of sense, or maybe even the opposite sense of this, but would would it also kind of tie in that the more kind of practice you have with um, when you set a financial when you when you are working towards financial progress, you are tracking it that you will maybe shy away from uh, opportunities that will not be on track. To, to for your financial progress, such as uh, making sure your goals are in line and, and just kind of maybe like in, it's, for instance, like turning away the opportunity to go out for dinner because you know that's not going to help you uh, in your financial progress. Like things like that, the little things like that, does that at all come into the feelings that we feel in point number one? Well, an example would be if you are rapidly paying down debt 
but late on your rent payment every month, clearly your financial goals are, are not, your, your financial goals are not optimized. You're missing something, right? Like, you shouldn't be thinking about debt reduction and I hope I can pay my rent this month. Like, you got to solve one thing in first and then move on to the next. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so the second soft measurement is reduction in stress. And so I talked about this. Is, this is kind of, you should have a reduction in stress if you are making progress. And the the stress I'm talking about is the the stress that of things that are feel like they're out of your control. So the stress of a bill coming in, like just say a, a, a car breakdown, say you need a transmission in your car and you you have the money in the bank to fix it versus how am I going to get to work tomorrow? I can't afford to fix my transmission. Like you, you should have stress in your life in that you've made lifestyle adjustments that are a little uncomfortable. So that's that's good stress. Bad stress is is things that happen to you that you can't solve because you don't have the financial means. So if you reduce that kind of stress in your life, then you are making financial progress. So the third point of, of how we can measure financial success in soft measurements is your goals seem more realistic. And so like you just say you wanted to save for a down payment for a house and you need $50,000 and you're, you, you hope to save $10,000 a year toward that goal. Well, at the beginning of the first year, that's going to seem pretty unrealistic. It's going to seem more dreamlike than, than, than actually a goal. But when you get $40,000 in the bank and you just need another $10,000, that's going to seem like, wow, we better start looking for a house because we got the cash. You know, we, we got the money to do this. So if you're Goals start to come more and more into focus, then that means you're moving in the right direction. But if they always seem like this pie in the sky dream that someday and someday never shows up, then you're probably not making progress. And I mean, when we are kind of this, we're looking at this. Actually, here's an example. I remember when I got my first car loan and I bought, everyone knows I bought a brand new car and I lost my mind when I was 22, I think. And I got, it was a five-year car loan. Again, lost my mind. And I said to myself, the way I, I reasoned that is, is, well, I will always have a car loan because, you know, five years when you're 22 is a quarter of your life, right? So I'm thinking I'm going to have this forever. And I was okay with that because that's just how life works. And when I got closer to paying that car off, I said, I never want to have a car loan again. I never, ever want to borrow money for a car because this is, this is terrible. And I started seeing that when I got really close to paying that loan off. So that is, so it became more and more realistic to not have a car loan in my life the closer I got to paying that car off. I love that example. I, I love it for so many reasons. One is because, and this is kind of off topic, but one that we always, we kind of, it's easy to get stuck into belief systems that, we assume are true because that is kind of the norm the society held belief but but also i love that because 
it's kind of this snowball rolling down a hill and that got bigger and bigger in the momentum as it rolled down the hill. It kind of pushed you in the direction to kind of to, to keep pushing through. So it was very self-serving. Oh, very much so. And this really, this point actually does play into the point I was making earlier about how um, the the more you kind of measure your progress, the more you stick with something, the more encouraged you will be to continue down that path that supports uh, your goals and 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 kind of heading towards uh, the path of that your financial progress would lead you down. Uh, so point number four, so that was number three, number four of five soft measurements that we can uh, look at in order to measure our financial progress is the frequency you celebrate wins. And I'm sure this uh, this feeling, which I'm sure you've experienced lots of in your lifetime, Trevor, is one that almost comes a little bit of a high, a little bit addictive to, to feel and maybe pushes you to keep experiencing it more and more. Well, the best example of this is the, we. there's two ways to get out of debt. There's the debt avalanche and the debt snowball. So the debt avalanche is where you, it's, it's based on math and you pay off your, your debts with the highest interest rate first, and then you pay off the debts with the lowest interest rate last. And that would suggest you will save the most amount of money doing it. I'm a fan of the debt snowball and the debt small snowball is you list your debts smallest to largest and you pay off the smallest debt first, regardless of the interest rate. And the reason you do that is you celebrate a win. So just say you owe $1,500 on a credit card and you owe $30,000 on student loans. You would pay the $1,500 credit card first. Celebrate that win. One debt collector out of your life. Let's celebrate not borrowing any money to do it. (laughs) And that's a win. And then you tackle your next smallest debt and so on. And the reason you do that is you, you, you get to celebrate the wins more often. But as you're making financial progress in any way, it could be in savings goals, but like, remember I said saving $50,000 for a down payment house, $10,000 a year, celebrate the $10,000 plateau. It, it means something. You achieved a goal, but that means having a plan, measuring your progress, and knowing when you hit these plateaus. It's so important. I, I know like I mentioned, net worth is zero. That doesn't sound very optimistic, does it? No. <laughs> but I celebrated that day. Like that was a big win for me. I felt great at net worth zero. I thought this is awesome. So you got to celebrate your wins along the way. But you'll know you're making progress progress if you're constantly celebrating wins. You may have the odd setback and, and those happen. But if you're celebrating more wins than setbacks, then you're winning. I love that. And the fifth and final soft measurement that we can look at is an increase in time spent enjoying life. And this one is, it's harder than you think. But if you, if you just start enjoying the simple, the small things in life, that means you have moved some stress out of your life, the uncontrollable stress, and you, you, you feel in control. You, you can you can enjoy life as it happens. You, you're not worrying about the next catastrophe. So I think if you find yourself enjoying life more often than fretting about problems, because a lot of times if you have enough savings, you can solve a lot of life's problems. I like the idea of $5,000 in the bank solves a lot of life's problems. $10,000 in the bank solves even more. So if you have a savings and you have this 
you've built this wealth and you have a low cost lifestyle, then the stresses of life, they, they're easily solved. A lot of them are. So if you find yourself not burdened and bogged down by, you know, forget like financial edge concerns, just say you've got a, a leaky roof. Well, money can solve that. You know, just have your roof redone. Or say you have leaky windows, get a new window installed. Money can solve that problem. So you'll know you're making financial progress is if you aren't being bogged down by the, the, the nagging expenses of life. So that brings us to the end of today's show on measuring financial progress. We talked about reasons to measure progress. If you weren't already convinced already about the importance of why that is so key to achieving your goals and staying motivated. And then we talked about how to measure financial progress from the hard measurements to the soft measurements. We will have uh, this outline in our show notes. You can refer back to it. Um, And we'd love to hear from you as well if there are ways that you how you measure financial progress and the reasons kind of behind that, what keeps you going in, in terms of, of, of measuring your goals and achieving, and achieving your progress. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for a brand new show. Until then, keep it simple.